Welcome to the Jeff Eby Show. Jeff Eby Show. Where the talk is all about Dixon County. historic Reagan's Arcade. Welcome to the Jeff Eby Show, where the talk is all about Dixon County. We are guest focused and listener supported. Like us on Facebook and subscribe on YouTube at the Jeff Eby Show. Now, here is your host, Jeff Eby. Hello, we welcome you to a, another uh, session with the Jeff Eby Show. I'm your host, Jeff Eby, and we're so glad you've joined us today. Please like and share this video if you're on Facebook or if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. We really appreciate you watching, and the more information we get out to people, the more people are able to watch and find out just what's going on in Dixon County. We're, this show is all about Dixon County, and today we're so happy to have Judge Wolf. Who, who is a judge in our, our county here and, and several other counties that, are, that surround the circuit court judge. And uh, I know he took time off from his uh, courtroom to come over here and spend a, a few minutes with us. And we're really, I really appreciate you doing that today No problem. For us. Glad to be here. Um, we, do, we want to go ahead and get started. And kind of what I want to talk about first is you. Uh, kind of, uh, you know, where you came from, how you got into uh uh, the legal business and how all that kind of just transpired a little bit. Well, <clears throat> I'll be glad to sh share what I can. I grew up in Houston County over in Erin and uh, graduated from high school there, went off to college at David Lipscomb, what was David Lipscomb College at the time, right. is now David Lipscomb University. Graduated from there with a history and political science major and decided that I didn't really want to go back and work in a factory or something on yeah. that order. So I, just, I had always thought about law school as an option. And uh, back in my day, the Perry Mason show was pretty popular. So right. I decided that would be the thing I'd like to do. So I applied for several different schools, was accepted at UT and at Memphis State. But I decided I'd like to go to Texas. And I ended up uh, applying to the University of Houston down there. And so I went to law school at the University of Houston Bates College of Law. Graduated from there and went ahead and got my law degree uh, and then took the Texas bar and passed it and started practicing with some friends of mine there in, in Houston, um, working two jobs as a lawyer in the morning from about 7 o'clock until 3 o'clock. And then from 3 o'clock until 11 o'clock, I worked at Hughes Tool Company. Oh, wow. Painting machinery. <clears throat> And uh, that was just to make ends meet because we were starting out as young lawyers. Sure. And it, just like in the Bible with the uh, prodigal son deciding, you know, things could be better <laughs> back home instead of feeding the pigs, I uh, decided to come back up home where I was from. So I moved back and found out when I moved back that I was going to have to take the Tennessee bar exam. So the very next year I took the Tennessee bar exam, was lucky enough to pass it, started practicing with Alan Kearns here on North Main Street, and uh, stayed with him for a while, then shifted over to another friend, uh, Jerry Smith and Robert Littleton, and I had a firm together for a while, and then I decided to go out on my own. So when you're in a firm with a couple of different lawyers, there's always conflicts that develop sure. uh, where they represent someone and you can't take a case that you would like right. to. So I went out on my own, and that's been uh, the way it was until I, uh, was that, until I basically took this job. And then <clears throat> from about 1980, 
1983, I guess it was, 1984, it was 1986, I'm sorry, that I was appointed city judge for the city of Dixon. Back then we had a general sessions level court. Right. So I served uh, 13 years and then after, and that was a part-time position. And then after serving those 13 years, I ran for circuit judge against Judge Robert Birch and Judge Birch and I I had a friendly campaign. I carried three out of the five counties, but I lost by 60 votes overall. So it was a learning experience. Wow, Judge Birch votes. was nothing but nice to me in that situation. And he and I had a, a meeting similar to Rocky and Apollo Creed at the <laughs> end of <laughs> Ain't going to be no rematch, don't want one. Um, and we ended up uh, coming to terms and, and, in fact, became very good friends. And Afterwards, when he told me he was going to retire, I told him I would run for his spot. Luckily, I ran for his spot without having to uh, having to uh, have an opponent and have served for the last seven years in that. Now, as far as my personal background, my wife Beverly and I are living on uh, here in Dixon County towards Charlotte, <clears throat> off of uh, out in the country. We've got a farm. We have just sold a house and have moved into a shop building that we built to live in while we were constructing a new home right. out on in the middle of a pasture on our farm. It's a beautiful spot. We're excited about it. We just would like to get on with it. But, right, right. But that's kind of where we are. We have four children between us. I have two of my own. My son, Travis, who is the oldest, uh, graduated both of my kids. All four of our kids graduated from Dixon County High School. That was before the separation of the two into Creekwood and Dixon. And uh, Travis is now married to Leslie Shepard. <clears throat> they just had their first child uh, two days ago. My uh, new grandson is named Shepard Anderson Wolf. <clears throat> That's a combination of the wow. Leslie Shepard's, yeah. Shepherd's uh, maiden name, uh, Travis's mother's, Marsha's maiden name of Anderson, and then, he's, of course, the last name of Wolf. And he's very excited, and we're happy for them. Is that is that your first grandchild? No, I have okay. <clears throat> I have uh, several grandchildren. <laughs> I have Lila. My daughter Elizabeth has uh, a daughter, Lila Catherine Coons. She's married to Jeff. Elizabeth is married to Jeff Coons. Elizabeth's the assistant to the manager of Dixon Electric, and uh, she's very active in the community here on the old timers board. And you name it, she's pretty much got a right. hand in it right now. And Lila is just turned six, and she's a student at Centennial Elementary School, and wow. apparently she's knocking the top out of everything <laughs> I'm over sure. There. <clears throat> and then my stepchildren, um, my stepdaughter La uh, Leah, who is uh, Leah um, Andrews, and she's now Leah Andrews Hap, and her husband Dan. Leah is a doctor of physical therapy at Centennial, and Dan is a, her husband is a life flight uh, EMT for Vanderbilt. And then they have two children, Owen, who has just turned two a little bit ago, and then Ella, who is their newest, uh, that's several months old, but they have two of those. And then my stepson, Trent Andrews, who lives in Nashville with his wife. Uh, Trent's an attorney with the Department of Correction. I'm sorry, Department of Correction, the Department of, um, well, I can't, I can't call it, it's not to commerce, but it's anyway, it's, yeah, he works for the state. Right. <clears throat> Comptroller's office, okay, I apologize. Office. And he's an attorney with them, and his wife, Donna, um, is a physician's assistant at St. Thomas, and they are expecting their first child. So we're cool. expanding our family yes. as we speak. So. Yeah. We, so everything's great so far. We're very happy, and we have a great family. So. Yeah, yeah. We just had our first grandbaby a couple of years ago, so, so it's just like 
it's a whole new life you it know, is. when you have grandkids <laughs> you know it's, it's pretty different but yeah it is it is okay well talk to us a little bit about the court systems um you know i know we have the uh, different courts that meet in dixon county now again you travel what five counties there are five counties i am classified as a circuit court judge that's the position i hold and we really do ride now, is that circuit. because you go to different counties it's called a circuit it's called a circuit okay. judge <clears throat> Uh, a circuit court judge actually does, in our rural area where we have no, new, uh, several counties, we ride the circuit. Uh, I have a term of court in Cheatham County, then Dixon County, then Humphreys County, then Stewart County, and then I come back to Houston County, then I start all over again. Wow. And sometime, in between there, we have some months where we're not on an actual term, and we set cases that are more complex and lengthy during those times that we call our flex months. But we really do uh, ride the circuit. Circuit judges hear uh, personal injury cases. They hear uh, jury trials mostly. Circuit, uh, we hear personal injury jury trial cases. We hear criminal jury trials and uh, a number of other things. Now, in our rural area, normally you would have a chancellor in an area that, like in Davidson County. They have chancellors. Right. They are the same level as I am but they hear only chancery court cases because we are in a rural county and we have five counties and only three judges. We interchange and we hear both chancery matters and circuit court matters. Okay, what's the difference? Well, chancery court, you hear domestic, we, we hear all of our domestic relations cases through chancery court. Gotcha. In addition to that, you'll hear contract disputes, equitable uh, remedies uh, that people, boundary line disputes, uh, there are statutory distinctions between circuit and you, you don't normally hear a, a, a jury trial in Chancery, although you can under certain circumstances. We are now handling probate matters out of juvenile. They took the probate matter and put it over into uh, Chancery Court, and we are now hearing the, all the probate matters through Chancery Court. So there's a distinction between them, but the same judges are hearing both the circuit court cases and the Chancery Court cases. To my mind, it's not any different than I used to do. I used to go as a lawyer when I did 36 years of pra- 37 years of practice. My wife always reminds me of, I forget that year in, yeah. <laughs> in uh, Texas. At, at a certain point, it doesn't really matter. Right? Yeah, it doesn't kind of. <laughs> but anyway, in my practice, I used to go one day, I would have a criminal case. The next day, I might have a divorce case. The next day, I might have a juvenile court case. So I hear all of those things as judge now. It's just from a different perspective. I'm on the bench rather than as the lawyer. Um, so we have those two. If, if I could go back a little bit and give you a little sure. bit more of a, of a definition about the judicial system. It is a tiered system. In the lowest tier, and I don't mean that in disrespect, no. but in the lowest tier, you have the, the entry-level courts, what I would call, which are the general sessions-level courts, <clears throat> city courts, and that sort of thing, and, and then juvenile courts. And all of the juvenile courts deal with specifically with juvenile matters. Right. And they can do paternity matters. They can do you know, dependent and neglect and, and child custody matters such as that. Now, Judge Mize, he don't hear all the juvenile cases then, right? <clears throat> he hears all of the juvenile cases, uh, yes, but he doesn't hear custody cases in a divorce, for gotcha. example, gotcha. because he has certain statutory definitions of the cases that he will hear. Um, but Judge Mize is the juvenile uh, judge now, and he hears exclusively the juvenile cases that come before him. General Sessions levels are, are the cases where people might be arrested on a warrant, and they come before a judge uh, within a certain period of time that they're required to 
he may also hear speeding tickets and traffic tickets on the interstate and that sort of thing. Right. He may hear up to a certain level of a, of a dollar amount that the statutory limit on the amounts of, of damages that he can uh, hear on civil cases. So he has both civil jurisdiction and criminal jurisdiction. Um, and when a general sessions judge hears the case, the party that's aggrieved of his decision doesn't like it has the right by statute to appeal it within 10 days to the circuit court. So guess where it ends up? It ends up in front of of me. So I still end up hearing juvenile court in some instances has the right to appeal from juvenile court to the circuit or chancery or to the circuit court. So we oftentimes will hear all, you know, juvenile cases as well as, as uh, general sessions appeals um, and that sort of thing. And then, from those courts, you have those two that are the and city courts are usually the same. They'll either be traffic courts, but if they have general sessions jurisdiction, then they can be just like the general sessions court. They can hear a case, and then it can be appealed to the circuit court. But then we are the circuit, the next level, and and we hear all of those things that I've described. And then above us is the court of criminal appeals or the court of civil appeals. So. If I make a decision in a case, uh, in a criminal case, a judgment is rendered in a criminal case, the party that's convicted can appeal to the Court of Criminal Appeals and and allege that I've made a mistake or that the jury was wrong. Same thing happens in civil cases. They have a right to appeal divorce cases and everything to the Court of Civil Appeals. So those are the two avenues. And then above those two levels of the Court of Criminal Appeals and the Court of Civil Appeals uh, is the Tennessee Supreme Court. And then from the Tennessee Supreme Court would be the ten- United States Supreme Court. Now, there are other levels, other ways that can branch out and go into federal court, but that's a little bit more complicated than I can yeah, probably yeah. explain. So. Okay, we're going to go to break, and uh, please stay with us. We've got a lot to talk about with uh, Judge Wolf, so we'll be back here in just a minute. doesn't have to be one of them. Make a choice you won't regret. The foremost choice. Are you looking for your dream home? Well, Lee Realty Group guarantees you the perfect home. With our expert agents that have over 100 years of combined experience, you are assured 100% customer satisfaction. If you are buying or selling, Lee Realty Group is your local veteran-owned real estate company. Contact us now at 615-446-2006 or online at leerealtygrouponline.com. Like us on Facebook at Lee Realty Group. Insurance carrier doesn't have to be one of them. 
make the choice you won't regret. The foremost choice. You've dreamed about the perfect house, a place to call your own, and a place to not only stretch out, but to grow. Auto Owners protects your house because to you, it's home. That's simple human sense. Ask EB Insurance and Dixon if auto owners make sense for you. Happy to help, man. I was just over there talking to myself anyway. It takes a real estate expert to find the right 2,000 square feet in a neighborhood where kids can be kids, land softly, and grow up not so fast, please. A place to laugh together and make a lifetime of memories. And it all starts with a realtor guided by a code of ethics. So, can you picture it? And the doors you open together. back uh thank you for joining us i'm your host jeff evie we're here with uh judge wolf and we were talking a little bit about his background kind of how the the uh, court system worked but i want to kind of continue that because we talked about how uh, things get appealed and how they get up to certain court levels can you can you kind of explain that a little bit sure um as i was explaining the the lower courts um are general sessions court juvenile court are one of the city courts that have general session jurisdiction. If someone has a decision rendered against them in one of those courts that they don't like, then they can appeal uh, that decision. Now, generally, ses from general sessions, you come directly to circuit court, my level. If it is a juvenile court case, depending on the type of case, you may be able to appeal it to the circuit court level, or it may have to go to the court of, of civil appeals. Um, but then we hear those appeals from those lower courts uh, if they're within our jurisdiction. If I render a decision or if there's a jury trial in a criminal case, then the appeal from my court level is to the court of criminal appeals on a criminal matter or the court of civil appeals in a civil matter. And then above those courts is the Supreme Court. So if someone in a criminal case, for example, uh, is convicted and they believe they were wrongfully convicted, then they have the right to appeal that to the court of criminal appeals. And depending on if the court of criminal appeals doesn't grant them relief they want, then it can be appealed to the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Courts can't accept every appeal right. from every criminal court because there are three different branches. There is the West Tennessee, uh, the West State, uh, Western State section of the Court of Criminal Appeals. There's a middle section of the uh, Court of Criminal Appeals and an Eastern section. Same thing for the Court of Civil Appeals. So with all of those judges rendering decisions, the Supreme Court simply has to have a limit on what they can accept. So they have to have issues that are genuinely uh, raising issues that the Supreme Court needs to it in its supervisory role address and make sure that there's uniformity among the courts regarding certain issues and so forth. So it's not every case appealed to the Supreme Court that's automatic. It has to, they have to request a right to appeal and the Supreme Court would have to grant it. But that's the level. And then above our Tennessee Supreme Court would be the United States Supreme Court. Right. And then the corollary is the federal system which is out there that sometimes will have some 
some input that, that they may have some control over or something to do with some of our cases. So. Now, above you, um, are those all appointed positions? They are appointed by, <clears throat> yes, the, the governor makes the, the, the appointment to the uh, Court of Criminal Appeals, Court of Civil Appeals, and to the uh, Tennessee Supreme Court. For example, Justice Connie Clark, who I've, I really thought highly of, just passed from a battle of cancer. And, uh, in fact, her, she lay in state yesterday at this old Supreme Court building. And her vacancy will now be filled by the governor making an appointment of someone. It may be someone from one of the appellate-level courts, or it right. could be someone that's not on a court of appeals. And is that, like, lifetime appointment? It's... Um, all of us, even the judges on the Court of, of Appeals and the Court of Supreme Court, have to have a retention election. Now, I run for a general election where I'm, I am you know, open to the public and, and run into five counties. The Supreme Court of the Court of Appeals will run across the state, and right. that's generally a retain them or not retain right. them kind yeah. of a situation. So. Yeah, you go into the ballot box and you... And you scroll down and see all these, and most of them you don't even know who they are. You know, we have a great judiciary, in my opinion. Our our appellate court judges do a great job. Uh, they don't. They sometimes disagree with me, and you know, there sure. are occasions when I've had them say that I didn't do the right thing. But by and large, I think they're uh, they do a great job, and and they're very very worthy of being retained overall. So, has there, in your knowledge, has there ever been a judge not retained? Yes. Oh, really? Um, there was a Supreme Court Justice, Penny White, uh, who was on the Tennessee Supreme Court. She was a very intelligent lady, very good judge, but for some reason there was a movement afoot that, that to oust her across the state. Um, not sure exactly. Wow. I don't remember yeah. the specifics about it, but she's the only one that I'm aware of that has been voted out on a retention election. And she is now a professor of evidence at uh, University of Tennessee Law School. So, wow. And she wow. does, ironically, comes to the judicial conferences and, oh, really? and helps to bring us up to date on some of the newest developments in evidence. So. Right. Do y'all, yeah, I guess there's associations that y'all meet, like the judges meet and kind of... We have a Tennessee Judicial Conference, which is a um, part of anyone who's elected on the level that I am or in the Court of Appeals. Uh, now, the general sessions level judges have their own conference, but we have a conference that's made up of trial-level judges, chancellors, and uh, appellate court judges, and the Supreme Court. And we meet three times a year, uh, unless COVID prevents us from right. it, which has been a problem. And we have a mandatory one in June uh, that we have to report. And so at that point, uh, every judge in the state of Tennessee is either in that room uh, for oh, the wow. roll call or is... Uh, allowed to not have to be there due to the fact that they've been excused for some reason. So, so it's it's kind of like something you have to do, right? And yeah. The June one is the mandatory one. Right. Yes, we have to do it. And, and we also have to undergo uh, continuing legal education. So they provide us with continuing legal education classes during those conferences. So we are able to get our CLE, as we call it, uh, during those conferences, generally speaking. So Cool, cool. Okay, now we talked a little bit about, you know, your circuit. Uh, what are those counties, again, that's actually in your circuit? Um, I've got it pretty well down okay. pat. Cheatham, <laughs> Cheatham, Dixon, Houston, Humphreys, and Stewart. Okay, so when you run, you're running in all of those counties, That's right? correct. Yeah. If anyone's listening in any of those five counties, I would appreciate your yeah. vote for re-election. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. <clears throat> no, I do. I have to. We have to qualify to be on the ballot in all five of those counties, and then the, all five of those counties vote 
and their votes tally up, and it's the overall f- vote uh, in the counties that that determine who's the winner. So. Right, right. Now, we, we talked a little bit about this with Judge Monsug about how he loves the uh, new criminal court, the Justice Center over in, in Charlotte. And I know that's probably the premier place for you, too, I would suspect. Um, well, I don't mean any disrespect no, to the no. five, to the other four counties, but our Justice Center, and, and I can't thank the commission or uh, County Mayor Rawl enough for giving us that building because it has allowed us to, to try those two cases that were highly publicized uh, recently and to try some of these cases, even with the COVID restrictions that we have, because of the size of the building, the size of the, of the courtroom, the accommodations that are there. It is actually probably one of the premier justice centers across the entire state of Tennessee, in right. my opinion. I've right. been, I went to I'm Chattanooga, sure been, yeah. I've been to Knoxville. Knoxville has a very nice building, too, but I, there's encompasses a lot more. They have all of their county uh, buildings in one building called the City County Building, and they have a good facility, but the only thing theirs has that we don't is a coffee shop that, oh. that <laughs> a Starbucks food in there, whatever. And yeah, <laughs> they have coffee and they serve lunch and breakfast. But ours, our our building is truly state of the art, and uh, it really is a, an accommodation that makes it easier to try some of these cases that are very complex. So, so you'll have a docket for let's say thirty days in Dixon County. And then you'll have a docket in an. And we call county. it a term of court, but okay. yes. And every day we'll have a docket of cases that that we run through. Like today, I have Chancery Court, and I'm on my last case in the docket of Chancery cases that I have. But we have a thirty. We have terms of court, and that's because we ride the circuit. We will have a thirty-day term of court in the month of. Uh, well, September is my term in Dixon County. October, I go to Humphreys County. November, I go to Stewart County. This, uh, December, I split between Dixon and Houston County because the small nature of Houston County, we don't have as many cases. So we try to give a, extra days to Dixon, which is the largest and has the number largest number of cases. Right. Then January, I start back with Cheatham County. Then I come to Dixon. It's just I rotate like that. Gotcha. So. so what would be a typical day for you? <laughs> like, I'm not sure there is such a yeah. thing as a typical day for me anymore. Um, well... <clears throat> Let me just give you this this week, for example. Um, on Monday, I had some chancery matters that I had that I had to hear, and so I had a chancery docket. Tuesday was the day that I had what we call violations of probation and community corrections for people who were on bail. So we had a day long uh, court hearing in which we had a number of. Uh, I've forgotten how many pages it was, but then we had all those people that were on bail that we heard those. Wednesday, I had a uh, docket of cases that were people who were violating their pro- or charged of violation of probation that were in jail. And we did that by Zoom, but the lawyers were in the courtroom with me and the people were in the jail. We had 45, I think I was told, 45 inmates that we dealt with on that oh, wow. yesterday. And we finished late yesterday afternoon. All Zoom, pretty much? All of those were by Zoom. We had one or two people that came in that were... Uh, for some reason, they were there, but but we try to do as many of those as we can. Right. And then today I have chancery, and then tomorrow I have some 30-plus motions in a uh, medical malpractice case in circuit court that I have to hear. Then Monday I have um, circuit civil docket call in, in Humphreys County, and we're going to try to set that up by Zoom because of the 
outbreak of COVID and, and the flooding in Humphreys County right. were trying to minimize the requiring people to show up and come to court. <clears throat> but that will be in the morning at 9, a circuit civil docket call. At 1 o'clock, I'll do chancery cases there. And then back to Dixon Chancery on Tuesday. And then it just every day, I don't, without my calendar, I can't tell right, you. Right, right, right. When I get ready to go to bed at night, if I have my calendar, I usually look at the next day to figure out where I'm <laughs> supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do. Right. We just have more cases than, than we have judges to do them. And the lawyers are in the, the DA's office and public defenders are in the same boat. We have more cases to try than we have days to try them. Wow. And that's the problem. So. All right. We're going to go to another break here real quick, but please uh, rejoin us because uh, we've still got a lot to talk with with uh, Judge Wolf, and I'm sure you're going to want to watch that. So stay with us. We'll be right back. doesn't have to be one of them. Make a choice you won't regret. The foremost choice. Are you looking for your dream home? Well, Lee Realty Group guarantees you the perfect home. With our expert agents that have over 100 years of combined experience, you are assured 100% customer satisfaction. If you are buying or selling, Lee Realty Group is your local veteran-owned real estate company. Contact us now at 615-446-2006 or online at leerealtygrouponline.com. Like us on Facebook at Lee Realty Group. The foremost choice. Uh, Judge Wolf, and before we went to break, we were, we were kind of talking about kind of a typical typical day, and you were going to uh, uh, oh, talk well, about that, finish that kind of up, that I, it, thought. It, it's difficult, depending on the court that you're in. Some days, uh, usually we start court at nine o'clock. We take a, a lunch break around noon, and then we usually try to finish around five o'clock. Courthouse usually closes at four in almost all of the counties, 
And if we aren't finished with court by five, then sometimes the cases will roll over. Uh, there are occasions when, because of something that needed to be done, we'll set court to start earlier. For example, we started court as early as 8 o'clock and gone until 6 o'clock. Uh, those were very, very tough days for not only the judges but the lawyers. Right. And I've, done, I've done it as a lawyer and know that it's physically and intellectually uh, draining on you to be able to do those kinds of things. So. Yeah. We were talking a little bit off break about, you know, some of the attorneys maybe that come in there and you're thinking um, they should probably be – talking about this or saying this. or what, uh, I'm sure that goes through your mind quite a bit. <clears throat> well, having practiced for 36 years, yeah, there are times when you think you're sitting listening to a case, and I, I read through every file that comes before me so that I understand what the issues are, so that I can listen to the lawyers and to the witnesses and understand what, the, what they're talking about so that it's not just cold coming in right. and I have a better idea. And, and so as you're sitting and listening to some lawyers, you do think, well, you ought to ask this question or that question. The hardest thing for me is, because I was a trial lawyer for so long, is to try to make sure that I don't right. interfere and I don't try their case for them. I just bite my tongue and and uh, let the proof uh, that they put on be the basis for my decision. So I, I can't interpose what I think they should do for what they're doing. So, yeah, so no matter like, how tempting it might be. Right, so. right, right. So depositions, like you you have all the depositions in front of you to also, correct? Depends. Depositions are, pre, are pre-trial discovery, and sometimes they will use de- depositions in a trial. But what I have is the court file, which is all the pleadings. For example, a case has begun uh, by filing a complaint or a petition, and so I have that file where they're ale- they make their allegations. They're not facts, but they're right. allegations. It's what they say the situation is. And I read through that, and usually the other side has made a response, and so I'll read through that. And then if there is anything else in the file, then I'll, I'll try to look through it so that I'm familiar with motions that are filed so that I understand that. Um, as I explained, I've got a medical malpractice case tomorrow that I've got to – um, ten, 10 motions through 30 motions, and I'll be looking at the rest of them tonight uh, to try to make sure that I So you've got to make a determination on every one of those, right? Yes, and some of those are not all um, motions. Some of them are the motion and then the other side's response. Very good lawyers will not let something go unchallenged. They'll want to file a response to what the other side says so right. that they feel like they've had their say in writing to the judge. So. Right, right. But, yeah, it does. If you do it right, it requires you to do a lot of reading. So. Okay, now COVID. I know that's kind of been a, a problem for everybody, especially in your position this past year, because of the backlog that it created. And I know a part of that was, you know, you tried to do the Zoom meetings and kind of, but I don't think that really even got close to catching y'all up, right? Well, the biggest, it, it kept us fairly current uh, with the civil stuff, uh, the domestic relations stuff, because a lot of that, most of that could be tried by Zoom if you had to. There was some difficulty to it, but um, the jury trials are the issue with COVID, and you cannot, no matter what people see on TV, you cannot try in Tennessee a jury trial where the jury is is on Zoom. You can't do it by Zoom. It's just unconstitutional. We have a constitutional right to confront witnesses in person. Uh, The defendant does, and they have a, right, a constitutional right to have the jury, you know, be able to observe and, and make their determination. We've set up a Zoom link early on when, uh, in fact, I think my office was one of the first Zoom links uh, that the state administrative office of the courts gave out. My assistant, Jennifer Fry, uh, at my direction, got with the state and got their uh, Zoom link uh, license for us to 
one of the first ones that I know of. So we've been doing Zoom ever since about February or March of 2020. And for a long time, I did Zoom hearings, court hearings out of the basement of my house. Oh, right. We were not <laughs> going anywhere because yeah, they had suspended all in-person proceedings. So right. I did a lot of them uh, from my basement. But the better, uh, now that we have the Justice Center, we're able to do them from that room, even if it's just me sitting in the courtroom with the Zoom uh, cameras going. <clears throat> but we can still do that. We can do most of that. Uh, in fact, I'm going back to doing as much as I can by Zoom to minimize the risk to uh, everyone, because right. there is, as we all know, a, a resurgence of the COVID vaccine of the COVID nineteen pandemic, and I'm trying to minimize the risk to everyone involved. I have gone back to requiring facial coverings. The Supreme Court's latest order doesn't require them, but encourages them strongly, and so we're we're back to having face coverings on our hearings and in-person hearings and trying to social distance people as they do. Now, luckily, we were able to get through both of the uh, Daniels case and the Wiggins cases without having to have the facial coverings, which would have been a complication in those two cases. We got through them before we had to go back to the facial coverings. But, yeah, the it, it's a it's an interesting yes. problem to, uh, to face as a judge. So. Yeah, because I imagine the um, attorneys would have a hard time reading the jury with, with face curvings on. I mean, there's a lot of things you can't, you know, really get, pick up cues and stuff from people. Well, our know? clerk, Pam Lewis, here in Dixon County, at least, had gotten some clear face shields that she was we were going to make available if any of the lawyers raised that as an issue. And they haven't. <clears throat> Everyone, I think, has accommodated or acclimated to the idea that, you know, people are going to want to wear uh, a mask if they feel comfortable doing it. And sometimes they will you know, ask them to take their mask off. I allow them to take their mask off if they're testifying because of the fact that the lawyer can ask the questions and more clearly and the witness can answer the question. But other than that, that's pretty much everybody else in the courtroom is going to wear theirs. Okay. And if I'm addressing if I'm addressing the jury and reading a charge to the jury that's 30 pages long, I'm going to take my mask off to do that simply because I, that I want them to understand what I'm saying. So. Right, right. Okay. All right. Well, um, so we've kind of gone over um, how the, the court proceedings go and all that. Let's talk a little bit about, and I know you can't really uh, talk a lot about certain cases, but of course the two that have really been on the forefront here in Dixon County is the Daniels uh, case and, and um, the um, Wiggins. Wiggins case. So how was that? I know um, those were really high-profile cases, and I'm sure there was a lot of there were cameras in the courtrooms. Well, under the Tennessee Supreme Court rules, the media has a right to be in the courtroom, and they have the right to have a video camera in the courtroom if they request in writing <clears throat> the ability to do so. You can have up to two video cameras in the courtroom. I've been limiting it to one to try to keep the distraction of that down. You can have two still cameras under... Uh, I believe it's Rule 30 of the Tennessee Supreme Court rules. And I've allowed the two steel cameras, usually those are the local media, the Dixon Post and maybe right. and, the, and the Herald. <clears throat> and then any other print reporter or a news reporter can be in there. But, yeah, those two trials, and, and let me say up front, as I told you at the beginning, I can't talk about specifics sure. about the evidence in the case or the outcome of the case. I can only talk about procedures. And yes, we allowed the media in, and yes, there were certain restrictions. 
the restrictions about the media are that we are we were not allowing them to show the jury during jury selection or during the trial. They were not allowed to show the jurors. The jurors have the right to have their identity in those types sure. of cases kept confidential. Is that is that in all uh, when the, when there's cameras in the courtroom? Is that true with all those? I mean, the jurors in can't any be jury seen, trial right? under the rules. They're not supposed okay. to show the jurors because it, think about yeah, the intimidation would, yeah. that there would be involved and in a jury, uh, someone that might be called for jury duty and they don't want to have their face on there. Ironically, the media asked to speak to some of the jurors in the in the Daniels case, and when it was over, I told them, I said, the media would like to talk to you, but you don't have to. If you want to speak to them, then we will relay that to them, and to a person, they all said, nope, yeah. we don't want to talk yeah. to the media. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but <clears throat> the, the high-profile nature of it is that, you know, it, it's, it's somewhat... It's not distracting, but it is, it's not really intimidating, but it's just a factor that you have to be aware of right. during the trial that the media is in there and that you're being live broadcast. Of course, we, we live stream all of our court proceedings now. So uh, someone asked me uh, the other day at a function, what was it like to be on camera all the time? And yeah, I said, I know. Well, yeah. Let me uh, just explain to you that it's like this. This person was a doctor who's now retired. I said, when you were practicing medicine, if you had a camera, that followed you every minute of what you were doing your job and filmed it and not only broadcast it uh, to the immediate area, but also across the state and sometimes internationally, how would it affect you? <laughs> he didn't like it too much. No. It, it becomes an issue where you just adjust to it. Um, my whole purpose in allowing the media in the courtroom is there is a lot of misinformation out there about how the judicial system works. There's a lot of misinformation about what it's like to have a jury trial. You see things on television where <clears throat> someone gets arrested and they have their trial within an hour and right. then the trial, they reach yeah. a verdict. You will see people in those on these TV shows, these so-called lawyers that stand up and make a, uh, a statement, you know, and, and that's supposed to be a question, which right. is completely inappropriate. <laughs> so I, I wanted to educate. It started allowing it with a YouTube channel because of the pandemic. To keep It's a public proceeding. We wanted to make sure the public was aware and had access to our court. And so we, we started it in order to allow people who couldn't come into the courtroom because of the COVID-19 to still have access to see the trials and so forth. It has since blossomed into an educational thing where we hope to be able to allow people to see and, and have transparency of the court system so that everyone can see what's going on. There are no secrets behind closed right. doors being operated here that everyone can see how the court system works. They can learn about things. And that way, if they're called into a jury trial or called in for jury duty or have a case of their own, if they've seen some of those things, then hopefully they understand more about what the process is and they'll be better educated jurors and they'll have a better idea of how the system works. Sure. Now, the jurors in both those cases were, uh, you had to go out of the county to, to get those, right? Right. There was a, ch a request for a change, what we call a change of venue. Venue is the location of the trial. And venue always is in the county where the events uh, occurred. <clears throat> but if there is uh, publicity that exceeds what would allow a person to get a fair trial, in the county, and obviously those two had high, high amounts of, great amounts of publicity here in the local area. So I granted the motion for a change of veneer, which is the jury panel, um, and they did that in the Vanderbilt rape case and I think a couple of other high-profile cases, so I, I had the idea that we should do the same. People in Dixon County deserve to have the county 
you know, have it heard here right. so that, that it would be a part of this uh, county. But having the decision made by people who are not exposed to the media allowed to us to ensure that there was a fair trial for both sides. So we went to Chattanooga uh, for the first trial with Daniels and picked the jury of 14 people who had never heard of, of the, uh, I think we actually had 16 um, people at that one, but those people had never heard of the trials right. and of the charge or, or the Daniels case. And those people uh, had a good experience in Dixon County to the extent that after the trial was over, they have stayed in touch and stayed in touch with some of the court personnel and communicated with them. They, I think, have been very positive. So well, y'all went down there, and you had to go down there. Right. And, and I the, coordinated. The attorneys had to go down there, right? Correct. Uh, we coordinated with the, the presiding judge in Hamilton County and <clears throat> his jury coordinator and his assistant, uh, Judge Hickson, down there helped us to uh, find a courtroom to start the jury qualification. And then the second day of jury qualification and selection, they had uh, rented us a room at the convention center, uh, and we had a big room like you would have a, a convention in, and we, they had set us up a riser for a bench, and they had uh, riser or uh, benches up for the jury to sit, and tables for the lawyers and chairs, and we had close to 100 people that were in there, and we finally got a jury selected and, and got back, and then brought them back up here. We put them on a bus that night and brought them oh, to wow. Dixon County, let them go home and pack, and then brought them up here. So, how many did you go through before you got? The oh, there were, I think, were 300. Is it two? I think it was 16 in 16? that. We, okay. There are 12 that will decide the case. Right. And then sometimes you will have, uh, we'll, we'll have as many as four on a first-degree murder case uh, that we'll, we'll have as alternates. And the reason for that is because of the fact that you want to make sure that if you have somebody get sick or right. having a problem on the Wiggins case, for example, we had 16. And one of those jurors uh, that was the alternate was we saved for the sentencing phase as an alternate was sick and throwing up and we sent her home immediately so as not to try to in, have any problems with the other jurors because we keep them you know separated and but they are together yeah so they they couldn't y'all put them up i think it at, um we used montgomery, montgomery bell, bell yeah. and i think they may have gone to a different hotel one or two nights but montgomery bell was our primary place to put them and that's and that's been a a, a really great place and Montgomery Bell is is uh, if you haven't been out there yeah, lately, it's really been nice. renovated yeah. they've really done a good job but that's what it is and, and we went to Knoxville for the Wiggins trial and selected the jurors there and we were again able I think only one or there are only a few people who have read or heard something about it and um, so we were able to get uh, jurors who come in and decide the case not on what they had read or heard in the news media but rather on the evidence and I was very happy we had good groups of people in both instances not that we wouldn't have had them in dixon county but right. this way we just eliminated that issue i'm all about eliminating issues sure. now so. was that your decision alone to do that yes okay well the defense filed motions to change the venue it was my decision about where we were going to go and it was my office that coordinated with the other judges and the other areas and got the jurors selected and so forth the wiggins uh jurors we had selected them because they were really set last summer <clears throat> we had actually sent out, I think there were 400 people at, the co at a convention center down in Knoxville last year or before the pandemic hit, and we had them fill out their questionnaires and everything, and I talked to them all, explained to them what was going on, and uh, then they had to wait, and uh, we brought them back in, and we still had their questionnaires. That was one of the reasons we had to try to get his case tried, because 
had we not been able to try him uh, during that time, uh, we would have had to start all over with a jury selection oh, if wow. it had gotten continued. So, right. Right. so we were able to get it done. So how is that, you know, because I know like just on regular trials when we, you have to pull a, a jury pool out of Dixon County, you, you're involved in that too. Like when if, if I'm, I'm called to jury duty, I have to show up in court right. and then you, I get asked questions by the attorneys and then you decide whether. The first thing that happens is that there is a random uh, method. Uh, we don't have anything to personally select the jurors that get called in. And when a juror is called in, if they have a hardship situation that meets the statutory thing, then they, re- they can request to be excused. The clerk or jury coordinator is, is our circuit court clerk. She can excuse someone if they have a statutory grounds for excusal. Otherwise, they show up, and we have a jury assembly room now at the Justice Center, and that jury assembly room will hold as many as, I think, 250, 300 oh, wow. people. Yeah. It's a huge room, and it allows people to spread out more. Typically, you summon 300 people, you might get 100 people that will actually respond or, and show up because they're sent out in the mail. And then once we have those people there, we usually explain uh, what this is going to involve and you know how many days they're looking at having to serve. And then we tell them that when, when they're randomly selected to go upstairs to the courtroom, then we'll go through the regular jury selection process. But if there's anybody who has a problem, they need to let me know. And so I will talk to those people and find out if somebody's really got a hardship. Right. Then I'll excuse them if that's the case. Then we randomly select what we've been doing. It. We have a box with numbers, and there are, each one is assigned a number. We randomly select the number that we're going to have, and take the. And we we have been doing 21, which is seven on each of the uh, levels of the box. That gives us 14 uh, jurors, two alternates, and 12 to try. And then we get seven more on the front row, and then we bring up 18 in the jury in the uh, audience. And then we'll have that'll give us about 39 uh, people, 30 roughly 39 people to start the jury selection process. The rest of them stay downstairs. We live stream the proceedings downstairs from our courtroom. Again, a great setup yeah, that so we have. Kind of what's going on. And <clears throat> they can watch it. And uh, then when we, if we run out of jurors, we summon more from the, ba- from the uh, jury assembly room. And that's kind of how it works. And then they, they're called up and uh, they're asked questions about whether they're related by blood or by marriage, or if they read or heard anything about it that would lead them to form an opinion, then the lawyers get to ask the questions right. about them. Right, right. So if, if, they, if, if, if they know a person, is that a disqualifier? Not, no. If they know one of the parties, it's not a disqualifying thing, but if they are so close to someone that they feel like they could not uh, be fair and impartial, then it becomes an issue that usually they're going to excuse. For example, they may know an officer who is a witness for the state because in a county like Dixon County, right. that's not unusual. But if they're, you know, the question becomes, is your relationship with this individual so close that you feel like you would not be able to, to uh, be fair and impartial to both sides? Would you start out expect, you know, leaning to that direction or the other? So. Yeah, because I guess if something later <clears> came <throat> out, that would tend to make a, a reason to be able to uh, go to an appeal, right? right? And you want to avoid that as much well, as possible. Well, and if, if you remember the, jur- the Vanderbilt rape trial, one of the things that happened there was that uh, a person on the jury had later after the trial came out disclosed that he had been the victim of sexual abuse yeah, and he didn't that. disclose it right. in the jury selection. So it got a new trial for those individuals. And that's 
what, as I said before, we try to eliminate every issue that we can, so we want to make sure the jurors are being honest with us, not because we care what their answers are. There are no right or wrong answers. We're just trying to get to the truth of the matter so that we know. Right, right. Well, we're coming up to the end here. We've got a few minutes left. Is there anything, because uh, I know, you know, a lot of us are running for re-election coming up here in the next, uh, you know, it's getting ready to get started here, I guess, after the right. first of the year. That's, next summer is the re-election for right. my department. Right. Least, so. Is there anything you want to, you know, tell people listening about, you know, why you want to continue this job and, you know, <clears throat> just well, anything sure. you want to let us know? I would say this. Um to, to my mind, I have reached the epitome of what I wanted to do as a lawyer. I, I love the law. I love practicing law as a lawyer. And I always wanted to, uh, once I started practicing law, I aspired to take the bench and become a judge. And uh, I have spent the last seven years trying to repay the trust that the people placed in me by electing me to this office. I've tried to pe- treat people, in my opinion, uh, with respect and to give them the respect that I think they deserve, no matter what they're charged with, no matter what their situation is, right. um, and give them an opportunity to have their case heard and to try to make myself as available as possible to hear cases so that people have a better idea. The justice system in our county and in our state and in our country is often maligned, but we have the greatest justice system, in my opinion, uh, of any place that you can find. And while it has its problems and its issues, I'm trying to work within the system to try to make it available, to make it work. And so I would just simply ask the people of this district and this county in particular to give me another term of court so that I can continue to try to to do everything I can to be as fair and just as, as possible and give people their day in court and treat them with the respect that I think they're entitled to. Right. Yeah, because we talked a little bit about this. When, <clears throat> when people, you know, a lot of people don't get involved in the court system at all. So right. that's that's why, you know, I like having, like, you on because you can really give us an overview of how the court system works. And, and if you've never been involved in that, you, people really don't understand that, you know. And the other fact is that when people do come to your court, they're probably at the lowest point in their life as possible. We don't see many know? people who are very, very happy. And right. People are coming in because they've been in – I did – about three or four adoptions this morning, and those are the highlight of any day oh, that yeah, I have. Absolutely. But beyond the adoptions, there are <clears throat> other adoptions um, that where the parental rights are having to be terminated because of the parents' failure to do what they're supposed to do, and, and those are tragic. And then we have divorce cases where people can't get along. And, right. you know, I try to remind them that they need to try to put their child's interests first and if they could do that and think about it from the child's perspective, maybe they could be better parents, even if they're getting divorced. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to, uh, to understand if you haven't been through uh, the situation. But I think there's a lot to be said for people watching these uh, proceedings on live streams that we have so that they can understand it and accomp- acclimate themselves to what's going to happen if they have to go under court. Right. So you've got, we talked about this, you've got a YouTube channel that you that you actually archive all of your uh, court proceedings. I think there's over 100 on the YouTube right now that of all. Right now we're just, we may eliminate some of the other ones, but we've live streamed all of our trials and all of our proceedings. There are some that we don't do. For example, we had a child sex um a child rape case the other day that we chose not to do that right. because it was going to involve testimony of a, of a minor about the allegations that were involved. And my mind is that that's not something that's appropriate to live stream out there. And right. we try to protect 
the uh, children that might have to testify. If I, if there's a child that's going to be a testimony, uh, going to have to testify as a witness, we do everything we can to avoid that having to be disseminated out in the public. Now, do you know uh, what is the if somebody wanted to look up you on your YouTube channel? They just type, go to YouTube, and on the search, they just type in Judge David Wolf. It's actually Judge David Wolf at at the state of Tennessee. I okay. think it is. So. All right. And we're going to, I talked to you about this, we're going to put this show on that, on your YouTube page too. I think Ms. Fry said she was going to try to link this uh, this interview so that if somebody had that desire to do that, they cool. could look at cool. it. So. Uh, and we talked a little bit about this, vacations. Do you get many? I haven't gotten many. Um, we are hoping, uh, Beverly and I are hoping to be able to next year to take a vacation or two. Um, but then I've got those Two big trials coming up, the Crystal Daniels trial and the Erica Castro-Miles trial. Plus, I have murder trials pending in every county that I go to that are going to have to be tried next year. So as a result, you know, the the times and trying to schedule where you make yourself available for trial, adhere to the, the system that we have as far as docket calls and grand jury proceedings and everything, it limits greatly. Uh, it's not like... I can go play golf every yeah, afternoon, no. so you know. It's There's not too many judges on the golf course all the time. I <clears throat> no, not not in this group anyway. Right. So. Now there's a lot of attorneys. I, I can I can vouch for that because I see them on there. No comment on that. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, listen. I want to just say thank you so much. And I know you you've got court today, and you kind of took your time out to drive over here and uh, be with us today. And you don't know how much I appreciate it. I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to, anytime I can talk about the judicial system and help people to understand it better, I'm happy to do it. That's awesome. That's awesome. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, that will do it uh, today for uh, the Jeff Eby Show. Please join us every week. Uh, today we were just a little early uh, because of some scheduling conflict, but our show is mainly on Fridays from 12 to 1, so so join us. Also, check out my website. Um, if, if you don't have any storable food, you need to go to my website, order some storable food. We never know when you're going to need it. With the floods that happened in, in Waverly and McEwen, if people had had some stored food, it would really help their families out. So just consider that. Go to my website. You can uh, uh, order that from there. And also, please like and share this video and uh, like and subscribe on my YouTube channel. And we really appreciate it. Please join us next week for our next guest, and we'll just uh, enjoy seeing you then. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you for watching. We know that you enjoyed today's show. Join us each Friday on your lunch break at 12 p.m. for new insights into local events, politics, and all things Dixon County. Remember to like us on Facebook and subscribe on YouTube at The Jeff Eby Show or visit our website, thejeffebyshow.com.